Hi and welcome to another episode of Stop Souplet Under the Carpet. So I have two special guests with me today and let's get the conversation started. So hi and welcome to Stop Sweeping Under the Carpet. My name is Jacqueline Francis and I'm so delighted to have Councillor Maureen Wobey on the um, interview with me and Dave Sleet. Have I pronounced it correctly? Yeah, that's the one. Great, great. Okay, so let's just give you some context. So I've spoken, I, I read the report. I spoke first and foremost to um, counts, the former councillor, Peter Chad, about the report. Yeah, he's still a councillor, former oh, mayor. Mayor, beg your pardon, mayor. <laughs> yes, and then I interviewed some of the ladies that were involved in the report as well. And yep. um, so now I, I wanted just to take it to the next level and, and interview yourself. And also to invite um, Dave on to give it, um, so it can be from a different perspective, um, rather than what we're always talking about. So if I can first and foremost start with you, Maureen, and tell us a little bit um, about the report okay, and why it well, started. I mean, the con- context in which we've, we, we commissioned this, this piece of work was, as a borough, we've had for a very long time high levels of domestic abuse, um, highest in London, something we're not proud of, but something we've tried to address for a number of years and we just didn't seem to be able to get to the bottom of it. Mm. Two incidences for me that sparked the need to do something, and I'll I'll just touch on them briefly. We did um, some structured surveys with our year 10 and 12 pupils within our secondary schools yeah and unfortunately 26 percent of the respondents both girls and boys said it was all right to slap your partner right that's a quarter of our children think it's okay in a relationship right to be abused mm-hmm. secondly at around the, t- the same time, unfortunately, we had a domestic abuse homicide. That's not rare. That, uh, unfortunately, that's not rare. But in this instance, on the morning that Karen was murdered by her husband, a Facebook entry appeared on a community page that said, police in, and they named a street. And that's all. Mm. Within five minutes, people were posting on that site, oh, my God, I hope that's not Karen. Okay. Now, the community knew the risk that woman was at. Yeah. We didn't know as a council, and the police didn't know. Mm. So, for me, those two things coming together, if you like, were the straw that broke the camel's back, and I was, I want to get to the bottom of why is domestic abuse so normalised within mm. communities? Mm. We break through. And that's why we decided to commission this report. Yeah. So we brought together um, a number of national experts from a whole range of experiences mm. to, if you like, look at us and what we were doing as a council talk to our survivors and that's what we call them here we don't call them victims of domestic abuse they're survivors because they have all survived and we wanted them to come up with what could we do 
but also a blueprint of what could be applied as a checklist elsewhere. Yeah. This isn't a unique experience to us. Mm-hmm. But if we had the high level of incidences we had, you know, my belief was if anybody else wants to use this, please do. Mm-hmm. That's very long, I know. But brief yeah. explanation how, how, how we started this project. Absolutely, and, and thank you for sharing that. Um, I mean, Dave, you've heard what um, Councillor Maureen has just said. What is your take on it? Because if I can just go back to, um, in the report, it, it, it goes back to Jo Richardson back in, in 1986, where, you know, she talks about the same thing at the high level of domestic abuse in Barkin and Dagenham. But, I mean, that was back in 86, and here we are having the same conversation. So, Dave, what, what do you think that could be done differently Okay. Well, first off, on on behalf of APA, I'd like to congratulate the council for taking this on. Mm. I wouldn't be so disheartened that you got high numbers. I'd actually see that as there is an environment where people are happier to come forward. And that's why you get high numbers, because you've got that information being made available. Because where you have low numbers, invariably, no one's asking the question. Mm. And that gives a really false economy as to what's happening in the real world. Mm. So congratulations to the the council and to the team involved in actually bracing this. Psychologically, why has this become normalised? And I would say part of that is because we use the phrase domestic violence. In itself, this is an umbrella term. It's an umbrella term that shields the rest of the world from the reality of what goes on under the umbrella. So we've normalised it, we've desensitised ourselves to the habitual rape, to the torture, to the very essence of what the initial law that outlawed abuse in the home was set out to do. And because we've done that, that becomes the seed of the poisonous tree. We've got to go back to why this law was formed and what it was originally designed to do in 1976. Because the focus at that point was not on gender-orientated violence. It was about abuse in the home. And when we get back to, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about abuse in the safest place that most of us should have. Mm-hmm. That rocks people's thought processes. Mm-hmm. Because so, it comes out from that umbrella term. Mm-hmm. So, um, Councillor uh, Maureen, can I just ask, so we're talking about, or you mentioned how they, you know, young people thought it was normal, normal behaviour. So, with regards to the outcomes, one of them does suggest educating young people. How do you intend going about that? So we, we've set up a whole series of um, approaches to, to how we address it with young people, principally by using peer groups within the, the, the young people. So we work with um, the youth zone. We work with here what's called the BAD Forum, which is our Barking and Dagenham Youth Forum. 
we work with the young mayor who has, and for two years running, the young mayor's selected domestic abuse and, and violence against women and girls to be their areas that they want to highlight. We've also introduced a, a programme within within each of our secondary schools. To, to, I mean, if you look, I mean, you know, and I recommend the report to anybody, but it comes up with a whole series of recommendations for us to implement. And what I didn't want was, one, to do a knee-jerk reaction, mm. two, to promise things that I couldn't sustain. Mm. So the report is written, if you've seen it, and the recommendations in almost like a five-step process in there. Mm. And we will take it step by step because I want to make sure that we actually deliver it and we continue to deliver it. Mm. Can't make promises all in one go. Yeah. So, but but the the education through schools, setting up the forums where young people can talk about this. Mm. One of the first steps that doesn't cost us any money. Mm-hmm. We've been able to do that straight away. So, Dave, do you think that would be the right approach to set up forums for young people to talk about these issues? I think it's one of the avenues that has to be put in play. I, th- I think you know, APA has developed a three-prong approach. And it starts with primary schools. And with our storytelling workshop, we use for introducing the concept of coercive environments. Because if you can help an eight, nine and 10 year old understand coercive environment, then you give them the key indicators that lead, that we know lead to that abusive environment in the home. So can I just stop you there? So Maureen, can I just ask you to jump in? So when you say that you're um, creating these forums in school, are you starting from the primary age? Well, I mean, we're... Unfortunately, because of the, I mean, I hate to say because of the pandemic. Yeah. Because of the pandemic, we've had to. Children have, children were locked. When we talk about lockdown, we're talking about children being locked in their homes. Yeah. 24 hours a day from children from five years upwards who have unfortunately witnessed domestic abuse. Mm-hmm behaviours in all sorts. And that's now beginning to come out mm. across the spectrum. You know, young people are talking to teachers about what they've seen. Mm. Um, and, yes, we're having to address it. I mean, obviously, our primary route for addressing it is in secondary. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that, you know, we've not been working with particularly the teachers in how to respond in that younger age group mm. for them it for some of those young people it's it is really traumatic mm. they've witnessed oh, yeah. they wouldn't have been aware it, of it yeah. and it, it's also that normalization because they've had no other avenue to explore it or to challenge it or to even understand that what they're experiencing is not what everyone else is experiencing. Mm. That's the beauty of having the storytelling workshops. And we're the only organisation that provide that to that audience. And, and the beauty of those um, that approach is that the stories are designed for the younger pupils. 
Mm. They're not designed for the eight, nine, ten-year-old. So we're using the psychology of an eight, nine, ten-year-old in order to support a five, six, seven-year-old understand coercive environments. Mm. By having that awareness at that level, by the time they get to high school, they've already got those identifiers. They're carrying that flag of going, actually, no, that's not the way that's supposed to be. And it's a real indictment of, of our community at the moment that we're having to talk about that age group. Yeah. You know, it, it, they should they should be protected yeah. and be exposed to this. But unfortunately, you know, it is a reality for not every home, but 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 it's too much of a reality at the moment. And yeah. I remember when we launched the the idea of the commission, we had we had a young man speaking at that conference. He was run, running one of our projects to protect young people from gangs. Mm -hmm. He he talked quite, quite emotively about he had lived in an environment the whole of his living memory where where his mother had been abused. Yeah, and he grew up thinking that was normal, mm -hmm. and he grew up thinking that all of his friends were experiencing the same. Yeah. And and that's, you know, it's creating, whether it's through storytelling or through the work we've, we've been having to do, obviously, in all of our schools since, since um, lockdown ended, that children are being given that space to raise those issues mm -hmm. about it. And it's that perception, isn't it? If, if you think what you're experiencing is what everyone else is experiencing, but they're not talking about it, then you won't talk about it. No, that's it. Exactly. Exactly. That's, exactly. that's why that normalisation has to be challenged as early in that learning oh, process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well I think... What do, you say, well, what do you say to... Um, OK, we're all living boroughs that are diverse. You know, the UK is a diverse um, um, place to live in. So what about, you know, those in arranged marriage and forced marriages who have their cultural you know to, to deal with how do you get them you know, uh, well well for me what's been really important in in this journey is that we have i have from day one involved our faith forum and our faith leaders because um it's it's an important part of the culture for our Bain communities be them muslim communities our black african communities their faith it's far more, I mean, and I don't mean this, <laughs> probably how it's going to come out, but it's far more important than it is to the traditional white community, working class community here in Balkan and Dagenham. Mm. And that's, you know, so I had sitting on my expert panel that worked alongside the commission, lead members from our faith communities, and my challenge to them has been to take this and the findings and just start that conversation because in many of those faiths domestic abuse is a taboo subject been saying you don't talk to children about it you don't talk in church about it you don't acknowledge you know that the the, the 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 lady that's sitting there with with sunglasses on you don't acknowledge or think about why that's happening because it's, it's just not so, and I'm really proud to say 
but both both in in the in um in the gurdwara in in the mosque and through our, our um community of pastors this has now been talked about okay and it's the work i've been doing i've been asked to go and speak to groups in all three of those lead or you know the lead members here mm -hmm. And, and it's just having it on the agenda mm -hmm. about it will break down some of those barriers. If I've got the pastor standing next to me when I'm talking about the work of the commission, it says far more than my Paul can say. Mm. So, Dave, what's your spin on that then? What do you think? I, th I think psychologically we have to understand that the cultural diversity has grown with that avenue of control within it as part of its own makeup. We're asking a, an entire cultural system to realign itself to something that it has never, ever had to question within itself. At a time when the whole community is having to challenge itself. I think it's it's crucial to reflect on the fact that we are going through grief. As a species, we are grieving for what we had in place culturally, systemically and individually before COVID took hold. Mm. Everything that we knew, everything that we planned, everything that we... Our way of doing things died in March 2020 and we are grieving and we've got to give people the chance to grieve and part of what happens during grief is anger and anger comes out and when people aren't empowered to manage that and that's survivors as, as Maureen calls them we call them 1976ers because 1976 was when abuse in the home was made illegal. That's how, how young this piece of legislation is. But everyone's gone past 1976. Mm. No one is anchored to 1976. And anyone who's been through that experience, when, you, when they are brought to that conversation, they are anchored to their experience. Mm -hmm. Psychologically, we're not letting anybody get past domestic violence. Mm -hmm. We've got to give people avenues out. We've got to give people that empowerment to say, whatever culture their experience is, whatever their upbringing is, there are avenues out from what you were not comfortable about before. And I mean, and you know, so Jackie, but but building on that, one of one of the strengths I think of what we're trying to do, and and one of the things that some people find very challenging, is working with perpetrators. Mm. Because if you do not address the perpetrators, and what 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 gets them to that point, you're they're just going to move on to another. Mm -hmm. I know that. I know that during my interviews with women, I, I always get quite frustrated um, and I try to contain myself because the onus always seems to be on the women 
what are the repercussions to the, the well it's not just repercussions i mean one of the pilots we one of the things we're running and it, it is a pilot scheme mm-hmm. as a result of this and we've managed to get some funding from the home office to do it okay and that's about but um, arranging housing for perpetrators because Nine times out of ten, it's the woman and her children that have to move, that have to flee, that have to give up their schools, their support system, their community. That shouldn't be the case. Now, we're, we're, as I say, we're piloting this approach and it only works, one, where the survivor is willing to try it, and two, where the perpetrator is willing to engage with us and go on on awareness training and what have you. But what we're able to do with this pilot is to offer the perpetrator accommodation so that the mum, normally it's the mum and the children, can stay in their home. Yeah, yeah. That's a psychological kind of solution, as you say, when the perpetrator of either gender is prepared to engage. Yeah. But invariably, that intervention happens at a point where the emotions are so raw, the anger is so high, that is going to be the complete opposite of where that individual is at at that time. Mm. And it almost needs to be a case of... Contain the crisis and work out the action plan, and then allow that switch to take place mm. as quickly as possible with everybody there. But that needs the biggest shift in multi agency approach this country will have seen since 1941. Okay, right, wow. Yo. But, how, but how are pair perpetrators? Do they acknowledge, do most of them acknowledge that they're doing something wrong? Because some won't, they won't think it's... No, some won't. And I mean, all I can, all I can say from our experience so far, mm. that, you know, we, um, we have a number, limited number of places on this pilot. Um, eventually, we hope to be able to support 60 families this way, but initially it's, it's 10. And we haven't had a problem in finding people that, that want to go down this avenue. I mean, you know, Dave's right. I mean, you know, the anger of that initial um, is, is normally um, because the perpetrator also thinks, why should I give up my home? Yeah, yeah. Um, so if we can go in and with the police at that, that early stage and say, well, you might have to give up this home, but we will actually make sure you've got somewhere to live. Then, then a lot of times that's the it, the timing is right. Then it's putting that offer because that's that the basics that everybody wants is food and shelter. And if we're saying if if you're a perpetrator that actually we're just going to deprive you of that shelter and you've got no alternative, that's when if you like they dig their heels in. And, and this is this also comes down to what's the legal consequences long term. Mm. If that perpetrator is then charged and goes to court, and it's seen as he was already moved out of the, 
that's already a guilty verdict right there. Yeah. And that, that presentation has to be so carefully managed within the legal frameworks. Oh, no, I, I, I agree. But I think, I think if you, I don't know if you've had a chance to read this, but the, the key message that came through the, the, the commission and the report really, really strongly is, you know, and, and this is for all parties in, in, in the process, is actually believe the survivor, initially believe the survivor, and don't make them keep reliving the trauma. Yeah. Having to tell God knows how many agents yeah. what Over they've been through. And that, that single point of contact, isn't it, Maureen, that makes it so much simpler that the agencies have a single point of contact the family has that same single point of contact and they are the conduit for everything that the system needs to give to the family and everything the family needs to give into the system rather than that 17,000 different people that have to be spoken yeah, to. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Excellent. I mean, we've, we've got, we've got sign up from, from our, my local health colleagues and from the police to, to, adopt principles in this report um so you know i mean i can only wait and see with our survivors group whether this actually happens um you know we've challenged um we've asked sophie linden in the mayor's office who's been really supportive of what we've been doing mm. to, to use the report to look at the training that the met police has Around, and it's just about that initial, we believe you. Mm. Actually, yeah. just drumming that in as the first principle for anybody who's dealing with domestic abuse or violence against women and girls. Would that mean, would that, mean that the police would have to have more training as well? I think it's about... Adapt now, the, the, do you know what? I mean, to be, to be fair... The, the, the level of training in the Met Police around domestic abuse now is quite high because, okay. you know, we have to remember it's one of the most frequent calls on their time. Mm. I think what we're asking is just to look at the content of that. You know, we still hear from survivors. It's that first contact mm. where, you know, they don't want, they don't want to feel as if they're having to justify Mm. You know, so it's that we, you know, and we want, we believe you. First contact sows the seed for the rest of the relationship moving forward. And anyone who is has experienced trauma will say exactly the same, whatever that trauma is. It's yeah. the systemic first contact that tells you how this relationship is going to go. So if we all start saying that mantra, we believe you. If that's in the mind of any first responder in that scenario, things may play out differently. I'm not saying that every reported case, 99% of them are. Yeah. But, you know, but if everybody that approaches that case approaches it with the tenet of we believe you, we will break down so many of the barriers as to why people don't come forward. Mm. 
Can I just ask, did you set up the report? I mean, the I, I know why you set up the report, but is there any government, I mean, it's from the local authorities, any support from the local, from the, from the government? I mean, how is no. it being funded? How, how we, is how... we fund? We have to fund it. All that, you, I mean, and, and that's why you get a variety of responses from different local authorities. It's not specifically funded anywhere. So council... You have to make your own decision mm. how you're going to address it, the level of funding you're going to put into it, how you support your staff. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're quite proud of the, the stance we take as a local authority. We, we give any member of our staff 10 days paid leave if they're dealing with domestic abuse. Mm. Okay. Because we know... You know, if you've got to sort out, you know, a new home, solicitor, well, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And, and and just the pure pressure of dealing with it. So, you know, but that that's a huge commitment. Mm-hmm. Now, looking at the, the services and the support services that I put in overall, um, and again, I, I could spend five times what we've got. Mm-hmm of all of the pressures on the budget. And that's why I was saying at the beginning that we asked the Commission to give us a phased approach to services because I knew I couldn't do it all mm. immediately. Yeah. One of the things that, that APA has, has produced and is working to, to kind of raise the awareness around is actually in the employment arena. I was just about to say that. Because... Uh, People experience domestic abuse in the heart. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't do domestic violence, right? There is nothing domestic about violence in the home. Yeah. It, it chokes me to even think that that's where we've got to. Yeah. But more people experience that abuse when they're in work than ever do when they're out of work. But work becomes their safe haven. Yeah. And employers lose billions of pounds in this country year on year as a result of having to retrain staff that they've lost because of this. That's staff that it's the issues have been brought into the workplace, productivity has been impacted. We've got to support businesses to be able to keep staff safe when they are experiencing this. Because that's going to help businesses save money. Mm. Absolutely. And this so is- again, we we what we're trying to do as part of our, our chat, and and that's right. Yeah. So we produced a, a you know alongside um, our colleagues in 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 the, the the trade unions, and you would expect me to say that. But we've produced a, a charter for employers to think about. Mm. And it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to go as far as we do in terms of giving ten days paid leave. But it is about having somebody, a named person in the organisation that's been fully trained that can actually pass people on to the right organisations. Um, and, and we've produced a very simple charter that we're hoping our, our chamber of commerce will. will We'll pass around our employers 
um, forum just to think about how they can how they can be supportive and not always at great cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having someone who knows where to signpost can be the most critical thing when that woman or man, because men do do are victims as well, are survivors. But when they come and talk at the workplace, having someone who knows where to send them. And if you do that on day one, you don't lose that member of staff. Absolutely. I mean, we haven't got much time left. I think we've got about five minutes left on this. (laughs) So (laughs) we can talk about, well, I can talk about this all evening, but quickly, um, can I just mention the the outcomes, um, the seven outcomes, professional services and how, I mean, how far... If I if I remember correctly, it's it's for five years. This report is it being commissioned for that? It, 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 what what they've given me is a five year approach to tackling it. Yeah, and how's it going no, so I, far? Um, I know it's early days. How's it going so far? Yeah, no. Well, I I I think I can actually tick half of year one off already. Okay, <laughs> but and. Um, we will accelerate it as quickly as we can do it. As I say, what again, one of the key things we've done is a survivors group that was set up to support the commission, advise the commission. Um, they have stayed together. I found them somewhere where they can meet safely and anonymously. Okay. Not everybody wants to identify themselves. Some um, you know, some are willing to do so, but we are, we run past them every piece of policy, every step that I want to take to say, actually, does you know, does this feel right? Mm-hmm. Because I have, I luckily have never been abused, mm-hmm. and I say that because it is luck. I am lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not the one necessary. I feel. Not about it, but I'm not the one that's always going to know whether what is being proposed is right. Mm. I will keep that group going for as long as I can. We will always refer people on to them as well, so that I've got a reference point to Mm. go back. Mm. And one of the key principles of, of the commission was, I have to be able to say to myself as the lead member for the council, we are led by survivors. Mm. If I haven't got them there to act as my reference group, I won't be led by them. So, right. yeah. Right, right. Dave? I, I, I think the, the steps that are already being taken are phenomenal. I think it's very brave to, to kind of step up and say, look, we've discovered we've got high numbers here. Let's do something about it. Um, I do want to mention... Males, yeah, no, yeah. Um, and as one, <laughs> I am, you know, within our organisation, I am a 1976er. I make no secret about it. I went through a tough experience when I was younger. Mm. Uh, so th- this is not something that is gender specific. It is no. not something that is socio-economic specific. It is not something that is culturally specific. This is something that is human. Mm. And it's when humans are not able to cope with the the experiences that are being thrown at them, that these things pile out. And we've got to empower 
both those that experience this and those that are dishing this out mm. to mm. move forward. Mm. Because as Maureen rightly said, if we do not do the empowerment, we just have the revolving door. Yeah. And yeah. that revolving door has shaped the response for decades. Mm. Mm. We know, on average, there is up to, and past in some cases, 37 attempts to get away from that situation. Yes. And when the system of support says, well, there's 37 attempts, so, you know, we'll wait for the 36 before we get serious. Mm. You've got to break that mindset. Yeah, absolutely. With people at first contact, here's your escape routes. You decide which one's going to work for you when it's right for you. And the system has to be responsive to that pathway that's chosen at that given moment in time. Mm. I mean, I'm glad that you mentioned men. I mean, during the time I've been doing Stop Sleeping Under the Carpet for about three years now, and I've only ever had one male person, you know, come on and share their story with me. And even when I talk to men, they some men aren't surprised that men are abused. They can't see that women can be persecuted. There are so there, there's 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 a high percentage of men, um, higher than we probably even acknowledge, because yeah. it's also the perception of what that abuse is. Yeah, men will see abuse or the umbrella term as that's covering physical abuse. Okay, and I won't stop it there now because I'm, I'm, I'm aware that it's going to cut up as soon as possible. <laughs> and I just want to say thank you so much. It's been a very interesting conversation. I'm sure we'll have, be having this conversation in, in, the, in days and months to come and years to come. Um, and hopefully things will have improved. But thank you, Councillor Maureen. Thank you, Day Sleep, for joining oh, thank me. Thank you. Stop sleeping under the carpet. Until next time, take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Stay safe. Okay, so that was another episode of Stop Sweeping Under the Carpet. If you want to hear more of the interviews, then please do check out Spotify. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye.